Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. Looking forward to this evening, I met J. Christopher King in line um, at in Washington, D.C. at the hearing. And uh, a great guy. I'm really looking forward to our conversation tonight. Just a couple of things. Uh, well, I'll get this out of the way quickly is our uh, blog this week from uh, Charles Lear is the 1993 Cosford incident. It's in uh, England and uh, the Min Ministry of Defense was involved and all that. So that's a good one. Check that out on our website, audio blogs. We always have going out there. And uh, I want to say quickly something about last week, uh, the last week's guest, Jonathan. Um, he he will not uh, watch his own interview and will not look at the comments or anything like that. And I know a lot of people have posted really nice supporting compliments, uh, comments and compliments. And I do appreciate that a lot. Uh, a lot of people realize that the stress he was under and uh, that he just did not want to tell the story. Thankfully, uh, we got through it. He told, uh, added a couple things, not added them. He said them that were initially taken out of the original uh, edit, edited out that the things that are out there. But he was very careful, like he didn't want to add anything to it. But as uh, if you watch it, you could see how painful it was. I was surprised to uh, be talking to James Fox uh, a few days ago, I don't know, three, four days ago. And he said that, oh, him? Oh, yes, I actually did the interview uh, with Greer and him together back in the Disclosure Project in 2001. I had no idea James Fox was involved in that uh, back then. And he said that he believes the story 100%. Uh, 110% as he actually put it, and uh, thought he was the most impressive of everyone that uh, that talked that day. A couple of things. Uh, next week, um, it will be a, a tribute to uh, a good friend of the show, and I was lucky enough to get to meet him and hang out with him for several uh, evenings out in Phoenix. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Calvin Parker has uh, passed away, and we're going to be dedicating next week's show to him. And also my good friend, Lee Spiegel. Um, on the 21st, we are doing a, uh, a show over on UNX uh, in his time slot, Edge of Reality time slot, which is 7 p.m. next Thursday. Uh, is it next? Yes, next Thursday. Not this coming Thursday, but Thursday the 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do a really nice tribute. A whole bunch of us uh, have gotten together, and uh, that will be... I will post the links on this website and it's going to be hosted on Ben. He won the lottery. We had a little lottery of whose uh, YouTube channel was going to be on and uh, Ben Hansen, it'll be on his YouTube channel and I will put links to that, but I don't have any other way uh, to give information about that other than um, if you are on my, uh, if you're on my newsletter, it'll come out in that next week and you can get on that newsletter on my podcast website, which is podcastufo.com. So if you'd like to get on that newsletter, um, and I can announce next week exactly how to uh, find that show for Lee, but it should be a good one. Oops, I don't know why that came up there. But anyway, uh, I'm ready to bring in our guest. I think I'm good to go. Again, I met him in Washington, D.C. Great guy, uh, Jay Christopher King. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you so much for having me, Martin. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't we you helped me in the cafeteria, too. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it seemed like I was kind of lost in the cafeteria and you helped me out there. But anyway, it was 
Uh, you were there. I got there at 5.40 a.m. and you were toward the front of the line. <laughs> That's what right. You, what time did you get there? I think I got there. I got there before Keith Taylor. I got there. Uh, basically, I got there a little bit right after Randy. So I think it was around like 3.30 or so that, that my friend Jordan and I uh, got to the line. You yeah. know, I think that there there's a lot of like um, conspiratorial talk about like who got into the room and things like that. And, oh, yeah. And well, I saw, of, I saw people yeah. that were not in line sitting way ahead of me, you know. Yeah. Uh, lots yeah. of people. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, no there conspiracy. Were, it was real. They really did get yeah, in there. Yeah, there were there were a few people that that had that uh, that I won't name that I that I recognized very yeah. early on had, and I think you know this too, that had actually paid people to sit in line for them like overnight, and oh, uh, and okay. a couple of those people were pretty relatively prominent people, and so like you know I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, but some people were treating it like an iPhone release or something like that, and you know that yeah. they. Had, pay somebody to sit there all night and they did and they did and then there were people like you and i that uh you know just got our coffee at an absurdly early hour of the day and and showed up in our suits right yeah well that was uh that was a a lot of fun i mean it was interesting all the way around the people in line uh you know and then and then um, i was the second to last person to get in the room and chris uh, Lado beside me, he was the last person to get in the room. So, uh, and some people had cut in front of us and I kind of called them out and that's the only way we got in. Uh, but uh, it was that close. And, uh, but I thought it was a, you know, an excellent experience. I I wouldn't have traded it for anything. It was great. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it really felt like we were seeing history uh, in front of our eyes and there were, there were various points during the hearing itself and right after we got into the room and we were sitting down and for the rest of the day, the rest of my trip there where I was just kind of like looking at my hand, you know, <laughs> practically pinching myself um, at, at, at all the ground that was covered, you know, by not just Grush, but also David Fravor and Ryan Graves. Right. And right. how seriously um, a, a bipartisan array of politicians were taking these issues, how well read some of them were about this given. Yes. The, yeah. You know, you and I, we're used to the deep lore and where we've been marinating in these, the subject matter for, for years. And then you see somebody that you're used to seeing on CNN just kind of pick, pick it up uh, and hit the ground relatively running smoothly. Um, right. It was pretty amazing. Was I amazing. thought they had some very good questions, a lot of them. Uh, they, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, they were really good. It's really funny. I, I filmed the whole thing. I decided to because I, I wasn't prepared to. But um, I asked the guy if he could take a picture at the door, and he said, you can do whatever you want, just don't disturb anyone. So I put my phone on my stick, and I held it up, and I filmed the whole thing. And uh, I'm laughing now because anytime they show, like, a, a news clip and they show, like, David Fravor or anything like that, you see my phone. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've noticed that. And I've, I've got later that day and afterwards, I was kind of over at Ryan Graves' shoulder, and so... I, I got a lot of kind of like highlighted. I got a lot of funny messages on my phone from people that were like, I see you on my television. And then they'd, there'd be like a red circle around me as if I didn't oh, know where so I was or something like that. But I, I enjoyed it nonetheless. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about the your beginnings and what got you interested in the whole topic to begin with. Was it an actual situation or did you have some type of interest ahead of that? 
Uh, well, I did. I mean, to to kind of go in through the, via the deep end, um, I did have my own experiences pretty early on as a kid, and um, that definitely informed um, my approach to the field in general of of ufology and anomalous studies overall. Um, I and it was confusing for me as a kid and even as a young adult as I was approaching things like paranormal study versus ufology and things like that because I lived starting when I was about six years old I lived in a house that was what most people would consider haunted right um, there is poltergeist activity in the house there were kind of like strange shadows that you'd see every once in a while and even apparitions um, though poltergeist activity was definitely kind of the most common phenomena that I experienced in the home, as well as my mom, um, my father and my younger sister also were there and, and you know, had their own uh, take on and their own experiences there. And so I had there was pronounced phenomena right there. And then later on, I had my own experiences with. UAP phenomena and what people consider, you know, non-human entities, um, starting when starting not that much later when I was about ten years old or so. Oh. Um, the haunted and the haunted house was in Mishawaka, Indiana, and then I um, I ha I started having uh, I had interactions with a couple beings that people consider greys when I was about nine and a half, ten years old in Hanover, Indiana. Um, so, you know, it's, um, when people <laughs> in years past, you know, there's, it's one of the points of negotiation that's, that can be very tough for an experiencer of, of these entities and UAP phenomena or any other kind of anomalous study where, you know, for a lot of people, um, the question of, of how did you get into this is a relatively easy one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But not, but for some folks, uh, experiencers, it, it gets you into this tough terrain because it's part of, you know, for years and through my 20s and 30s, I would just kind of get around the point. You know what I mean? I didn't want to talk about why I was interested in this stuff. You know, yeah. if somebody asked. Uh, well, I get fact, that because, um, uh -huh. oh, go ahead. Pardon me. No, go well, ahead. Um, as I've said on this show before, you know, this was, you know, the whole experiencer thing with, you know, people, you know, claiming abductions, what they call now or experiencers, or, or I don't know if they call it experiences, but anyway, whatever it is. Uh, at first, when I started the show in 2011, I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to completely stay away from that topic. And because it was a hard pill to swallow. And I think, you know, anyone that's new looking into the UFO world, if they start seeing something about this type of situation, you know, they may run away thinking, uh, oh, you know, that's just too much. I can't, I can't handle that. You know, if that, if there any part of it is true or anything like that, or, you know, what's wrong with people or what, you know, you hear all these things. Um, so it's really, um, I have to say that after talking to a number of people over the years, I think that there is definitely something going on. And I've always had questions like, uh, okay, so if, you know, why is this person getting visits over and over again? And I just heard a wonderful interview. I've been trying to reach him for a number of years. 
um, is Jack uh, Weiner from, or Weiner, uh, the right pronunciation uh, German is, is Weiner, but uh, he's one of the brothers in the Allagash incident in Maine that was mm -hmm. taken. And, you know, he basically said he felt like he was tagged for life after they had that one abduction. And yeah. uh, he's an amazing person to listen to. I've been trying to get him on the show for, for a long time. But anyway, uh, so that's kind of, it is interesting that these experiences seem to happen over and over again to these people. And uh, anyway, I'm talking too much, so you can go ahead and continue. No, but uh, no, I, yeah. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I, and I, I understand that viewpoint, you know. And I think that there's that that was that was definitely a predominant viewpoint for many years, and still is to a degree. You know, this idea that that, uh, you know, something like this, a UAP encounter an encounter with some other being or some other form of intelligence is like getting hit, struck by lightning, right? Or something yeah. like that, where it could really only happen once. And the odds are so unbelievably, you know, rare that how could it possibly be happening again? And at the same time, we have, you know, thousands and thousands of reports of, of people repeating re, you know repeatedly getting getting kind of taken almost as if there was some biological program or something like that now i personally i don't presume to know exactly what's going on here i don't have any kind of grand design for for where these beings come from i don't have any particular you know i don't i don't ascribe it to to anything particularly malevolent or benevolent, you know, I'm, I kind of try to take the, the 20,000 foot view in general of all anomalous phenomena. And if anything for myself, if I, I, I really look at the range of modalities, right. And I really, I, in talking to experiencers, I recognize how many of them feel burdened by, by just the problem of saying like, oh yeah, you know, I had a UAP encounter and then I know it seems weird, but I heard something or I had a precognitive dream or things like this. And, and these are really common, you know, phenomena yeah. that people have been reporting for decades, sometimes millennia. And, and, you know, there's this common problem that people like, like Jeff Kripal talk about where, you know, the UFO people don't want to be seen too close to the ghost people and they don't want to be seen too close to the cryptid people <laughs> or the OBE people because everybody's afraid of losing credibility. When yeah. in fact, there does seem to be a lot more overlap, especially in terms of like the people that are actually seeing this stuff or experiencing this stuff, you know? And so I think that, you know, we if we can take a step back and just choose not to kind of edit out the stuff that's inconvenient to deal with, we might have a better picture moving forward. I, I agree totally with that. And uh, I actually had a, um, you know, I mean, I, I've had a, a poltergeist. There's no other thing that I can think to call it experience. And I know that it really happened. I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, and I've talked about it a few times. I'm not going to get into it right now. But uh, I have talked about it. I've had... For, but for years after it happened, I said, no one will ever believe that happened. You know, it's just absolutely crazy. So I know there's, this is what I know. I know that we know very little. Yeah. You know, and I I think that we know a very 
small amount of what is going on around us at all times. And uh, we, we just, you know, in our spectrum and, and all our senses and, and even equipment, all the equipment senses can't even get everything that's going on. So I, I do believe there's a lot of mysteries um, to be solved. Um, here's a here's a question right off the bat. Uh, sure. This is from Mary Grace. Uh, does Jay feel he was tagged from the time he lived in the haunted house? Uh, she actually grew up in one, two from ages three to seven. Well, that's an interesting question. Thanks, Mary Grace. Um, you know, I I think that there are some interesting theories along those lines, some interesting hypotheses. You know, people like Gary Nolan have been doing a lot of studies on the brains of experiencers and looking right. at the, yeah. the ways that 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 the caudate and the caudate nucleus and other areas might be affected, either affected by the incidents themselves or or common characteristics that that seem to be happening among some experiencers at the very least. And using experiencer in a broad way, right? Not just UAP experiencers, but people that have had anomalous experiences of kind of a wide variety, right? Now, you know, for me, I, there's one hypothesis along those lines that does does tend to make some sense, which is that, you know, what I do see is that a lot of people, when they've had an, an anomalous experience, uh, that that is a little bit frightening, you know, that it has some some shock to it as a youngster, that those people often tend to have more experiences overall later in life. And we, nobody knows exactly why that might be. But, you know, from, from directing the, the experiencer group myself, I talk to thousands of experiencers. And, you know, I do see common characteristics among some folks. And one thing that I do see is that maybe not necessarily tagged, but I'm reminded a little bit of like, if somebody grows up in like Florida, right? Or if somebody, if somebody grows up in an environment where there are more predators, be they alligators, be they snakes in the grass, whatever you're looking at, you know, those, those people that grow up in environments like that tend to kind of like have a slightly different uh, uh, kind of evolution of the peripheral vision. You know what I mean? They get used to taking advantage of their peripheral vision and looking for signs and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, Whereas like I, 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 I grew up in Ohio, I grew up in Indiana, I'm not looking around for, you know, snakes, or I'm not used to like looking around at the water for disturbances um, when I'm walking, you know, near a, a, a pond or a river or something like that. But other people that I know absolutely are, right? And so I do wonder if they're, because we're in such a, a period of development as, as, as youth. And, you know, I, for example, and I kind of took all of this in in a way that I wasn't super frightened by the poltergeist activity in some ways because I didn't quite know that it wasn't supposed to exist, if that makes sense. Because hmm. at that kind of an age, at like six, seven years old, whatever happens to you is what happens to you. And kind of everything that you experience is kind of like for the first time. You might go to, to a wedding for the first time at that age. You might go to a funeral. You might have, you know, you go to school, uh, you, you go to kindergarten for the first time. And so I was just kind of taking it all in. And I do wonder, you know, if if there's a situation like what Mary Grace was saying, where you're not necessarily tagged, but you're still learning and developing as a kid. And so you start to 
if there's something that's scary that's in your environment or something shocking or something that isn't kind of like the edge periphery that you recognize you, you might need to pay attention to for some reason, whether your brain kind of develops in that direction in terms of like an extended sense perception as somebody like Kay Randall May or other people might think. Does that make sense? Hmm. Hmm. Very, very good. Um, so there is another question that came up here. Someone wants you to elaborate just a little bit. And if you don't mind, you know, just a little short, uh, you know, idea of what your experience was. And I think she means the poltergeist type of situation. Did you see like objects move, things like that? You could, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So the first experience that happened in that haunted house, for example, was it was actually... I didn't experience the the very first thing. It was my mom and my and my father, in that we moved into the house on kind of the the first day. A bunch of my dad's old kind of book boxes and and maybe some of my mom's book boxes got taken down to the basement. They were they were loaded in last into the moving truck and they were kind of bracing our mattresses, right? Which is a pretty common strategy when you're moving. So yep. the books the 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 heavy book boxes came out on hand hand trucks and got lowered down into the basement. So there are these big pillars of heavy book boxes stacked up, you know, as pillars in the basement. The next morning, uh, my mom uh, goes downstairs into the basement and she sees that the those pillars of heavy boxes had been rearranged in like a checkerboard pattern over the course of the basement floor, right? And she freaked out. Um, she knew that my dad, she had woken up with my dad. My dad hadn't gone down there yet. Um, they they talked about it a bit, according to my mom, and we're, we're talking to each other saying like, you know, did somebody, does somebody else have keys to the house? Is somebody trying to mess with us? You know, something along those lines. Um, and then later that day, my mom reported kind of going out into the backyard via the, the back door off of the kitchen. And she was only out for a brief amount of time. She came back in, nobody else had gone in or out. And when she came back in, the oven was turned the the oven and stove was turned all the way up full blast and the and the oven door was open and she just she she exclaimed she said that at that moment she just had this kind of like cognitive flip in a way and that um and that she immediately kind of flipped over and and said to nobody and whatever that was at the same time stop that this is my house now you can't do that Huh. Right. And so that was that was her first experience there. And then for me, I think I I don't remember her kind of talking that out to me back then. However, I do remember that um, there was a fair amount of poltergeist phenomena in that, like I would be, say, sitting at uh, the coffee table in front of the TV and I would have like a uh, uh, cereal bowl in front of me, right? And I'd be watching TV and the cereal bowl would kind of zip over about a mm. foot or something like that without, without anybody touching it. My mom would, would she recalled much later, um, for some reason, she, she doesn't understand why even, she kind of blocked it out for a while, but she used to reach for her car keys on the kitchen counter and they would kind of like jump out from under her hand as she was reaching for them, right? Huh. Um, so situations like that would happen. I would yeah. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and like my toys would be kind of like out in the middle of the floor. There'd be all there'd be other moments where like 
you'd hear like a knock in the wall, yeah. like in the wall, not on the wall, but in the wall. And then mm. somehow there would be a knock and it would take your attention over here. And then when you look back, um, some objects would have been rearranged where you were just looking, which was like a pretty, that was actually the thing that was kind of most scary to me in a way that, that when I saw something being kind of like seemingly instantaneously reordered without any kind of sound or without seeing anything, that was pretty freaky to me in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and, and some of that phenomena could happen in pretty elaborate ways, um, pretty much instantaneously, which I still don't really understand how that's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I say, it's, uh, there's so many, uh, there's so many things that happen that we, that have an answer. There is an answer for them. We just don't know what it is. Uh, that's right. So, uh, here's another question here. What experiencers Jay has talked to, um, I'm thinking, I understand. Uh, do you feel like these people are legit that you, uh, speak with a lot of them? Well, um, well, I think it's probably important to mention that I, I co-founded a group called the experiencer group. Uh, it's yeah. online at, at, uh, if people can find it by searching the experiencer group or it's at www for experiencers, F-O-R, experiencers.com. And it's a it's a private uh, member site. It's pay what you wish. Uh, people can pay absolutely nothing if they'd like to. Uh, dedicated to support, curiosity, and community for people who've lived through anomalous events of any and all kinds. So it's not just UAP or haunting experiencers. We're talking about people that have had out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, precognition. It's a wide range because what we've noticed over time is that people that experience one modality, like we were just talking about, often go on to experience something else later on. So through that, I, I co-founded that with a guy named Stuart Davis and with Kirsten Blackburn um, during the kind of lock, lockdown period of the pandemic. Um, we'd been working on, Kirsten and I, a, a, a series of confidential meetup groups for experiencers that were some of them were kind of more oriented towards meetup group stuff via Zoom, and some were definitely more in the vein of kind of like a support group situation for people that had had more traumatic experiences with the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And um, and we just basically what it came came from is that Kirsten and I, at the time, we were both working as assistants behind the scenes on the member site for the historian Richard Dolan right for his richard dolan members site and so we were both kind of filtering in a lot of mail um we were looking at a lot of inboxes um richard was just getting flooded with mail like to anywhere on the site where you could submit anything and um and he was overwhelmed and so one of the things that we were doing on the back end is that there were generalized inboxes towards the site and we were looking at just dozens and dozens of cases of people writing in talking about their experiences hmm. and it's not and it wasn't and we just recognized that you know kirsten had had her own experiences i'd had my own experiences and we recognized i i we both did that that there was no place really for for this kind of information to go in a lot of ways and there were no there was not really a great place in many ways for a lot of experiences to talk to each other 
you know, there are, there are limited resources. Um, there are a couple places like Opus or Ciro and things like that. Um, but we recognize that having like a private environment for people to talk with each other was important. So through that work, I recognize that, that almost all of the, I mean, like the vast majority of the experiencers that I've ever talked to in that kind of situation are very legit because one thing is, is that I've seen that very few fraudsters, if you want to put it that way, um, want to go into an environment where they're talking to a bunch of legit experiencers. It doesn't really happen, hmm. you know? And so there's that. And then there's also the, the aspect where for in general, I'm talking to experiencers in private. I'm talking to them through the private site or I'm talking to them in my direct messages and things like this. And for the most part, people that join the experiencer group are people that can't really talk about this stuff online elsewhere or mm. they don't care to. That's yeah. often because that's often because they have jobs where this would be a huge liability. So I'm talking about people that are lawyers, people that are doctors, people that are involved in electrical engineering and software design, people that have designed objects that we all carry around in our pockets. And they have the kinds of jobs where they where they they need to be taken seriously, right? And yeah. some and in some of these situations, people work in a situation where um, this topic really can't come up. You know, um, I know one one person that has a very high position in an international insurance company. You can imagine mm -hmm. why they don't want to talk about their experiences online elsewhere, right? Yeah. And so often, when I when I hear from those kinds of people, when I I and I hear similar stories, right? I hear from these high functioning people that have that have spent a lot of time, you know, on their careers. And it usually these experiences were something that they had to work through, that they had to process and they had to integrate in their lives before they were able to kind of reapproach, you know, their careers. And sometimes they had to do it despite they had to do those careers in spite of what had happened with them. Right. And, you know, the, this this common situation where somebody has to get up in the morning and put on their pants and go to work, even though something that wild has happened very recently in their life. You know, though, when you hear from those specific people talking about those specific issues, it becomes crystal clear uh, how legitimate they are. Well, you know, when I, I, I've said this on the show a number of times and like, I can't imagine having some of the experiences that I've heard people talk about, for instance, uh, being taken on a craft and examined or whatever, and have mm -hmm. absolutely no control, can't move or whatever, uh, and, and have no control when they're coming back. I can't imagine functioning in life. I can't imagine putting the pants on and going to work. I, I would just, all I can imagine is being huddled in a corner and uh, whimpering, you know, so I, you know, if the, these things are really happening, I have to say, you know, my hat's off to those people that can take it because I don't know how, I don't know how, I mean, and uh, for me, I think one of the hardest things would be is that I want people to know about it, but who the hell would believe me? You know? Yeah. I mean, is that the type it, of thing that you hear or? Yeah. I, I hear about that often. And I mean, one of the things is that, 
you know, there has been a lot that's helped in terms of normalizing these conversations and destigmatizing these conversations. You know, Leslie, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and Helene Cooper's original 2017 article on the front page of the New York Times, uh, that whole series of articles, you know, every, everybody in the field knows that how much that did in terms of us reaching a new chapter in terms of legitimacy and in terms of normalizing these conversations in in the public eye, but also in terms of like how we can talk to each other and how other people like in our family groups and our friends approach us, right? And and I I see that continuing. I see that continuing with situations like this House UAP hearing that you and I were both at, right? Hmm. Because I I I have seen since then people coming into Zoom meetings, me having private conversations with people where they say, oh, you know, like it's so-and-so I, I work with them or, or my mom or this person. They saw that they saw in the news the House UAP hearing happening. And then they approached me because, you know, I was always I was always the one that they looked at a little weird. And then I got to have this conversation, you know, and it kind of opened something up. And I think that you know, from from you and for a lot of people in the audience today, you know, listening to this, even in the future, um, even you don't have to necessarily have had your own experiences to be able to appreciate the legitimizing effect that that stuff can have within our family groups and within our relationships, you know, mm -hmm. because so many of us, you know, they we look like these we've we're, we get used to growing up looking like these weird hobbyists that have these strange interests. And then, you know, as we get older, it, it's like, oh, you know, I, uh, you have more people turning around and saying, oh, gosh, I guess you were onto something. I guess you were right. How about yeah. that? Right. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had a little bit of that when it comes to the UFO thing. <laughs> a little bit of people <laughs> like saying, oh, yeah, well, hey, the government's actually looking at this. Uh, I ask that uh, people what, when they want to ask questions to put in caps. But uh, this one right here, thank you. Uh, I wanted to post this question because I understand it. Uh, what have these people done that led to this happening? Um, and that is probably just a big question mark, right? I don't think it's anything that people have done, but what is your opinion? I'm not sure. In terms of if we're talking about, I, I'm taking that to mean this person was referring to to case like contact cases. Yeah, or abductions, or, or abductions or something yeah. like that. that. Yeah, okay. So along those lines, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know exactly what that person has done or what they could have done differently. You know, a lot of people have this kind of like, have a bit of survivor guilt in some ways uh -huh. related to these experiences, thinking mm -hmm. like, you know, like I... I went through this, but like, why me? Like what could have, you know, remorse or some kind of shame associated with it with sure. thinking like, you know, what could I have done differently? Um, and not just not wanting to talk to somebody else about it, but just having a lot of body shame in relation to not having control of one's body or being taken against their will. You know, there's a lot of body shame that can be associated with that. Yeah. And which, which I completely understand, you know, one, uh, very personally, I think that one thing in the situation like this that people could understand, you know, one aspect that that goes back and I find interesting and somewhat troubling is that people going back to Bud Hopkins, John Mack and others pointed out that this often happened in family lineages. 
Yeah. So there are often situations where mm -hmm. somebody would have an experience and it would turn out that their mother or their uncle or aunt or even a grandparent had had yeah. a similar experience. Right. And it, it may have had slightly different characteristics where the person processed it differently. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people I've heard stories where some people say like, oh, I got visited by orbs of light, you know, in the middle of the night and I didn't understand what they were and I blacked out. And then they would hear from a mother or a grandparent saying like, I was visited by angels and they looked like, you know, balls of light or something like that. And so, yeah. you know, people have their own perceptual filters. Sure. They have their own cultural filters that they put over these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, one is definitely one or one's definitely the other. We have a broad range of, of, these you know phenomena that people seem to be that people are definitely encountering and i guess the one thing that that seems to be a commonality among some is that you know we have to be doing a little bit more in terms of what uh my old friend Stuart davis used to call uh and probably still does the genealogy of the strange which is taking a thorough accounting if we can when we can in terms of like looking at our family groups and thinking like who else in my family has this been happening to? Like, hmm. who can I talk to in my family? Does anybody else have any hints or has, does anybody else have any stories that kind of follow these lines? Because, you know, when we kind of map out those webs, we might find nodes and data points that might not just, you know, paint a, 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 a more thorough picture of the family unit that might make somebody feel more included, less alienated, mm. no pun intended, but it might, you know, it also might be an occasion where, where somebody can use that in a way to be able to normalize these conversations among their loved ones as well. Hmm. Hmm. How about that? Well, um, you know, I think it's, it is, uh, interesting. I've talked a couple of times about this, you know, as far as family members, me being interested in UFOs and my other family members, they could care less. I had a, uh, a stepsister that was actually in chat for a while here, Heidi, uh, who was, oh, nice. you know, but my, uh, it, it's so funny though, whenever I talk about this to my sister, uh, and I know I'm getting totally off topic, but it just made me think of it is that, uh, you know, it was like, uh, Oh, what's for dinner? You know, I would show her the most profound thing or whatever, like the Ariel school interviews or something like that. And sure. Oh, that's, mm -hmm. you know, what are we, what, what are we doing next? You know, this is just absolutely no interest in it, which is fine. You know, everyone has their own thing, but, um, but I do appreciate her husband uh, who has uh, worked at Los Alamos labs for years. He's a scientist mm. and mm -hmm. he has a very open mind to the fact that, you know, we could be visiting. So yeah, it could, it could be, you know, you know, I mean, I, I love that, that as someone in science, has that. And uh, uh, this is an interesting question because I've never even pondered it myself. Wyatt wants to know, have uh, you or I ever heard of someone being abducted with their pets, dogs, etc.? Oh, okay. I've never it's heard an interesting. of yeah. Well, um, I, uh, it's interesting. On, on the experiencer group, we actually have like a, like a sub forum specifically for uh, it's called, I think, Animals and Anomalies, right? Ah, and uh, wow. and it's specifically for cases where people have had, uh, you know, they noticed their 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 loved animals, their pets, having an experience with them. And that's usually not in the case of something like an abduction experience. You, we're usually talking about um, 
something that is more along the lines of an apparition or something that's more along the lines of what people process as, as like spectral or, you know, whatever that is, right? Um, a ghost or some other kind of presence. And, you know, I try to resist using terms like that because I don't really know what a ghost is. You know, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I, I've, I've known, you know, I was around apparitions when I was young, you know, but I still don't know whether that was like somebody that died and came back. You know, yeah. I just don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know where they come. I don't, I, I, you know, could it, it just be some other type of intelligence that lives in some kind of other realm and, you know, tries to pass themselves off here. I don't know. Who knows? We don't know. Right. That's but, as good um, an answer as anything else right there. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and I, I appreciate yeah. the fact this, this is, uh, this just adds to your credibility to have that. And, um, I always, I think you want to run away from someone that says they know what's going on <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. when it comes to this stuff, you know, because I, 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 I certainly yeah. don't. And, and it's what keeps me going is the curiosity of it, you know, what it could possibly be. It's, it's I, fascinating. I um, agree with you. Absolutely. I think the smartest people that we've had in this field, you know, the people like, uh, like Leslie and people like Jacques Vallée or John Keel, or say like Diana Pasolka, you could you could list names all all darn day, mm. and most most of those brightest names in the field, um, you know they they go through their whole careers and recognize ex often how much they don't know. You know, I think that that's one common characteristic. You know, I remember that famous line of Jacques Vallée's where he's like, "I'm the only ufologist that don't know, that doesn't know what's going on." You know, and I. <laughs> And yeah. I, I love, and I love that line. You know, I'm paraphrasing yeah. a bit, but uh, sorry, Jacques. But like, I think that that's a fantastic line. You know, and I think that it's appropriate. Yeah, I do think it's appropriate. Getting back to what you said there a few minutes ago, before I went off on my little tangent about my sister, uh, the the lines, the family lines. Um, you know, and I know this is just speculation, but. Uh, why do you, oh my God, I can't believe it. Bobby's just posted the exact question I'm going to ask you. <laughs> that was good timing, Bobby. So uh, do you have any speculation on why they may follow family lineages? That's just a, almost exactly what I was going to, going to ask you. Yeah. I, um, again, like I, 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 I don't know. I'm not sure. And I, I, I've heard a lot of different hypotheses. You know, I've I've heard about, um, you know, people, the idea that that some of these beings might be tinkering around with with genetic lines, that they might be monitoring DNA or genetic lines in some way, shape or form, that they might be looking at how certain certain adjustments or 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 certain you know processes in one body might move on to the next and. The reality is, is that I just I just don't know. I don't know why. And I I I think it's possible that that there's that there are folks out there that that have exactly the right answer for why that is, but I'm certainly not one of them. I think that you know, just because I I experienced something myself doesn't mean that I feel like I have a mastery of the situation. You know what I mean? Like mm. I use I use a computer. I use this computer every single day, and and I if I had to fix it, I wouldn't know the first thing on how to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so um, I I 
I'm old enough to know how, how little I know in a lot of ways, I think. So yeah. I, I, uh, I'm sorry if that's not, if that's not a, a helpful answer, but um, huh. all I know, all I know is that that it, it does happen, you know, and that I think that it's important for people to recognize that, that, you know, people like you're talking about, people are often okay with these, these flying objects, but they're used to, they're okay with UFOs if they're like way off in the distance, right? If they're way yeah. up in the sky and you can, and if you get a cool telescope and you can look at them or you got one of those psionics like infrared cams or something like that, you got a fun piece of gear and you can take a look at it. <laughs> and then that's, you know, there's something that's between you and this object yeah. and that, yeah. then, oh, then, okay, then I feel comfortable. Then it's cool. Right. And I'm reminded of how George Knapp used to say, you know, oh yeah, I'd love to see a Sasquatch. I'd love to see a Sasquatch from about a hundred yards away with a coffee cup in my hand and a nice big plate glass window between the two of us, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and I, I get that. I absolutely get that. You know, I understand why, why, why people think that way. And then at the same time, it's, we have too many cases. There are just, we have so many cases um, where people see, you know, what people have euphemistically called occupants or pilots or UFO knots or yeah. non-human entities, aliens, greys, yeah. however you want to put it. And I'm not prescribing anything on all of them. And it seems to be a wide range that people report in terms of what, what some of these beings might look like. But there, you know, there, it, I'm sure that some of these craft are, are kind of like drones or probably don't have any bodies in them at all. And then there's all these other cases. Yeah. And, you know, people like John Keel, even 50 years ago, over 50 years ago, was railing about the kinds of ufologists that edited out inconvenient details in the reports. And, you know, he spent of like half of Operation Trojan Horse talking about the kinds of, of people that only wanted to edit in what was what made sense to them in terms of the phenomenon. But I, I believe that we absolutely can't do that any longer. We can't afford to be editing out and trying to edit the story to 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 suit our needs or to suit our desires. Right. If we're mm. actually looking for answers, if we're really we really need to ask bigger questions yeah. and we need and we need to resist the idea of throwing stuff in the trash can just because it doesn't make sense, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I've, I've uh, spoken with uh, Klaus Swan of Switzerland. He's the leading ufologist there, and uh, I'm sorry, of Sweden. And uh, Oh, yeah. He's great. Uh, great like great guy. guy. He's a very nice yeah, guy. he's awesome. Yeah. And so I've talked to him. I said, now, what about uh, people, experiences or abductions or whatever? What's that like in there? And he said, you know, because he he's always every day getting, you know, UFOs and, you know, uh, uh, reports and things. And he said, uh, one, <laughs> I said one. And maybe, you know, maybe it's in the society where they they things may be happening and people don't want to talk about it. There's maybe no support. And I'm, I'm the uh, but the one that he did talk about sounded very, very credible. It was a police officer and his wife was taken away and the police officer she was raised off the bed and all this stuff uh and mm -hmm. you know and he he really thinks there was there was definitely something uh going on they the couple later got divorced and he talked to the cop years later and he said yeah that really that that was no bs that really happened you know so um uh what i'm getting at though uh 
why so much in the United States? Now, I know it's speculation I'm asking you to do, but it seems like there's a lot going on here. There's certainly a lot of people that claim to have something happening here. Yeah, I, th I think that I think that why the United States is there are a couple of issues there. First, within the experiencer group, I get a lot of accounts from people that are elsewhere. I, uh, we have members that are from Indonesia. We have members from Japan. We have uh, members from all over the EU, the UK, South America. I think one thing that's important to recognize is that we still, even though technology is, is so advanced now and it's getting more advanced every day, I, just, I saw just earlier today a, um, a close to live uh, translation device where somebody could just use a webcam and with only a slight delay, could like live translate their own something that approximated their own voice into other languages, you know, for others. And so we're getting closer and closer every day. But we should still recognize that that there are a lot of reports that we're not hearing because we are listening to English uh, reports, right? Mm -hmm. And so. I'm, I'm reminded, um, you know, you might know Giorgio Piacenza and some of the other f folks that have been in ICER and things like that, that there are tons and tons of reports uh, coming from South America all the time, you know, and and they and there's been a bias like James Fox talked about with in moments of contact in terms of like this kind of like almost some some would call it like a classist kind of bias against you know, um, rural people, whether they're in the United States or whether they're someplace like Brazil or whatever, you know, where where their their accounts aren't aren't being listened to, or people might not be listened to just because they speak a different language than somebody else. And part of that is just not hearing about the reports in general, right? Hmm. So I think that there's there's absolutely a situation that way because. We hear from cases like the Ariel School case in 1994, right? And I yeah. know that you are really love that case. I love I that case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know you and I both have a common friend, Randy. You yeah. know, Rand Randall Nickerson did an amazing job with that film. He's an incredible human being that I talk yeah. to often. And you know, people like him will point out that the Ariel case is not is not is by no means the only case that happens in that area, you know, Africa right. is there. Mm. I, I mean, it's a huge continent and there we, we still need more researchers that are looking into this from kind of more anthropological or even a more kind of, uh, or, or, or even closer mindset, right? We need, we need so many more researchers from so many different areas. Um, because I think it's not a situation where, cases are only happening in the United States, I think it's a situation where, you know, ufology needs to grow from just being a bunch of kind of English speaking men talking to each other. Um, and I, I, I think we need more, a lot more women. I think we need a lot more, more people of all backgrounds from everywhere to really approach this issue from as many different angles and but that we can't even necessarily anticipate. Right, right. So uh, I can't believe how fast this hour has been going by. Uh, do you, uh, can you give out your, you know, I will put your, for the person listening uh, or watching, I'll put down in the text below and YouTube, et cetera, is uh, if you could say that website and, uh, and you say that people can join, they don't have to donate, they can if they want to. Um, and it sounds like you are 
offering a really good service here. And I, I'd like to, uh, you know, make sure people know where that is. So that'll be in the show notes. And what's sure. if you want to just put it out there? Sure. Yeah. Again, um, it's the Experiencer Group and um, it's at forexperiencers.com or you can just Google up the Experiencer Group. And um, again, it's for people that have had anomalous experiences of any and all kinds. And um, there's just three questions that, that we ask so that we make sure that we don't have any trolls or bots in the community. Yeah. And then and then it usually takes maybe about five to seven days to process because we do one batch of applicants per week. And then uh, folks can walk around. We've got support groups. We've got book clubs. We've got a dream study group. We have current events, ask me anything sessions, all sorts of different situations, all sorts of excuses for experiencers to get together, compare notes and find community. So thanks for Excellent. having me on the show. I really, all right. really thanks so this. much. I really appreciate Wonderful. it. And you, uh, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. All right. Wonderful. Yeah. All right, everyone. So remember that next week is the tribute to uh, Calvin Parker with Irina Scott and Philip Mandel. Thank you so much. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky as soon as I can find the file right here.